What's up? It's Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Thanks for listening to the Under the Hood podcast presented by Coors Light. Stay inside and buy your Coors Light online. Find out how at get.coorslight.com. Coors Light, take time to chill. From State Street and the First Midwest Bank Studio, this is WMVP Chicago, ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. Go! Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Jesse Rogers covers Major League Baseball for ESPN.com. He's our guy, and Jesse joins me here on Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood right here on ESPN 1000. Hello, Jess. Good evening, Jay Hood. What's happening, pal? You know what's happening, pal. No baseball. That's what's happening. You know what's happening. You've been talking about this, and you've been on it really uh, on a really big-time basis as I've been reading uh, your work on ESPN.com. You and Jeff Passan have been going back and forth. I'll ask you this. The crucial question is how important is this week to get a deal done for both sides? Well, I don't think it's just this week, like the end of the week, Friday. I don't think it's working that way, but certainly the next couple weeks. I mean, it is. And there's no hard date yet, but I do think that they may have to come up with one. Yeah, June 2nd, June 5th, June 7th, because usually these sort of things need a deadline. And if it comes down to all right, an agreement by June 4th at midnight or there's no season, you better believe June 3rd all the way up to 11.59 p.m., it's, something's going to happen. Um, so that's the way I look at it. Like, it, it doesn't have a deadline yet, but it might need one. And I, I, I still think they can, they can negotiate over the span of, you know, the next 10 days if they had to and just move quicker once they have an agreement in place. Jesse, just from a Rob Manfred's standpoint, how does this make him look uh, as a commissioner kind of overseeing this? This is players and owners, sure. But when we see everything that's going on, when we boil it down, Jesse, it's billionaires against billionaires, and it's, they're all fighting over billions. So what does this look like with this gaping hole in the schedule here? Yeah, I mean, you asked about Manfred. There's a lot of conversation about him. I mean, I, I'll tell you what is sometimes said behind closed doors. Does this guy love baseball the way the rest of us do kind of thing? Like, he's not Bud Selig in that way. He is more of that business businessman type of guy and some people believe he's only in it to make money for the owners he wouldn't be the first commissioner so like i don't want to yeah to say something like the commissioner doesn't love the game that he's the commissioner over that's a harsh thing to say um but you know people do say it behind closed doors like he it's not that he dislikes it but you get you get what i'm what i'm saying here so yeah that that's kind of the backdrop he's going to be very businesslike about this and um, at the end of the day, if it's going to hurt the owners in terms of their pocketbooks, he's going to side on uh, with them, and heck, maybe there isn't a season. But I don't think it's going to come down to that. Well, you, you know the point, though, Jesse, is that during this whole um, pandemic, as sports tries to get back, there's always that focus on the commissioner because you're the guy that's in charge, ultimately. The same thing with the silver with the NBA. Goodell and the NFL is taking a beating since he's been a commissioner. So you can understand where you know we're looking at the surface, but ultimately this is on Goodell's, on, uh, on the watch of Manfred. Right, no doubt. This will be on his watch. If there's no season, you can, you can criticize the players, but you're certainly going to have to criticize the commissioner as well, um, who would think that the country – country technically health officials would 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 okay it and then they couldn't come to an agreement that's why 
I think they will come to agreement, Jonathan. I, I do. The things that ha- came out yesterday that are reporting sounds negative. It really isn't. Remember, they did not um, uh, propose a revenue-sharing split. They proposed something else. Now, it's not something the players like, but but they hated the revenue split. They just hate this a little less. So I think there's a middle ground to be had, and they will find it, and they will find it in short order. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I think mo- most people believe there's there's a common ground to be found. How, how likely is it? to be a 50-50 revenue split. How likely is that to be on both sides? Well, considering it wasn't even proposed yesterday, I think that's off the table already, and that's good news because that really was a non-starter for players. So Mm -hmm. I don't think they're going to do a revenue split. I think they're going to do some form of what they tried to do yesterday. Whether it works or not, we'll find out, meaning some some further cut that uh, the players – you know, agreed to, even though they don't love it and, you know, stuff like that. So uh, it, it's some middle ground where no one's probably going to be happy, Jonathan. Right now, it's, it's just the players that aren't happy. Not that the owners are thrilled with, with no game day ticket revenues, but right now there's, there's nothing that the players have heard that they like. So they have to get to the point where they're happy with something. Jesse Rogers covers Major League Baseball for ESPN.com. He joins me, Jonathan Hood, on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Here's a little thing that we did not talk about when we hosted together on Friday. Because, uh, I mean, we're looking at big picture stuff, but I, I think that this is part of that picture. Maybe, you know, small, but it's part of the picture. So did you see Mitch Horacek? His tweet, Mitch Horacek is a Twins employee, says that he's being paid 13% of my salary to be 100% ready to play baseball at a moment's notice. I'm also locked out of the MLB, MLBPA negotiations because MLBPA doesn't represent minor leaguers. So we right. got to think about the little guy too, Jesse, in that regard, right? I mean, not, not well, just the, the big little, the, the little guy is going to get screwed one way or another. I yeah. mean, I was I was talking to an executive today about what what exactly would would happen. Let's say that there, just even in a trade. I mean, let's say you want to trade two of your Class A pitchers for I don't know Justin Verlander as a Verlander as a rental or something. I mean, those Class A players have nowhere to play. I mean, there's a, a lot of weird things to try to figure out with with this deal and. Um, I, look, those guys are going to get screwed one way or another. It's just how it's going to work right now. So, I mean, I, I don't know what to say. Uh, you can't make everybody happy. They're just going to try to make the MLB guys happy, and everyone else has got to find their way until next season, I guess. Yeah, just it's just too bad. I want to point that out because when I saw that, I said, wow, yeah, you do forget about the minor leaguers that they are looking for their piece too, and they can't even be part of the negotiations because I had to remember – they won't be part of this. They can't come to the table because they're minor leaguers. It's always been weird, and it's come to light more lately that um, major leaguers make five hundred thousand and up, and yeah. get all these accommodations, five star hotels, all this, and 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 one level below at AAA, it's like it's like high school, right? And certainly worse <laughs> at double and single A. It's just yeah. it's just weird. You'd think that. Even even at AAA, it's it's some of the best players in the world. It's still an exclusive club, so to speak. And um, no, they don't have many rights at, at, below the major league level. And I, again, I don't have an answer for that. It's just the way it is right now. 
it is funny that you put it like that because compare that to the NBA and and the G League, right? The G League is, you know, they've got their their outposts where they go, but it's still quality, quality travel. You know, um, you know, grade A service on the G League level. I worked with the Windy City Bulls last couple of years. They, you know, they're doing well. They don't get the same pay, but it's not like they're just in the dirt. You know, same. Right. You co- you covered the NHL for a long time. The next level below that is not so bad, is it? Compared to Major League Baseball and their minor league system. Well, yeah, and it's just it's just different though. There's so many more players in on a, in an organiz- uh, a team's organization in baseball than other sports, obviously. So. Um, it, it's hard. I mean, there's three single A, triple A, double A, short season. There's a lot going on there, and yeah, they they just. I mean, they they're they're going to have to get jobs elsewhere if they haven't already. Talk about the minor league players. Now, what's interesting is they'll have a taxi squad, right? Yeah. And uh, what will that consist of? I mean, you may have a single A player, but he's the number one pick in the draft, right? But he's just starting his career. You're not going to let him just go out and get a part time job. You're going to protect that investment. So all of that is in play as well. Um, so that those lucky twenty extra players that are not on the roster but are but are around the team just in case there's injuries, those guys will 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 be within the organization. But everyone else, it's it's fend for yourself at that point. Well, Jesse, to bring that full circle, there there's still speculation out there that some of these big uh, these big ticket uh, players may not come back because well, if they're making. 30, 40 million, are they going to come back for six or seven? Well, I say yes in a shortened season, but everybody's different throughout this pandemic. So that so the expanded roster, whoever else is available, will uh, will be a real fine for a lot of these teams. They're going to need those extra bodies. Well, they're going to need them because of injuries. There's bound to be a, an assortment of injuries. First of all, their routines are completely off, um, obviously because of the shutdown and and everything else that's gone on. Then once they come back, who knows what 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 facilities they'll be able to use? What the training situation is going to be every day? All that is going to be in play, and so they're going to need these players because of injuries for sure. And um, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen after that. I mean, it's kind of like the Wild West at this point mm-hmm. for this season. I, I, I just don't know how it's all going to play out. Um, but there's going to be a lot of players left holding the bag that thought they were playing uh, baseball this summer. Uh, Jesse, uh, did you? I don't. I'm surprised in your columns here. You didn't slide in my my idea, my deferred money. Where is that in your column? Where Where is Jay Hood with his deferred money idea for the for the yeah, owners? Yeah, it's coming. It's coming, and I'll I'll try to give you and the other two thousand people that have suggested it to me credit <laughs> because it is it is the most popular thing among people like you and I. I think the players still have a little bit of a problem with it. I think the owners still have a problem with it. Maybe that's that's why it's the right decision because. Everyone has a little bit of an issue, meaning, meaning um, you know, the owners are still going to have to pay it, even though they're not getting the revenues this year. Players are going to have to wait on it while they've already gone a half a season without much uh, of their salary. So maybe because I don't think anyone loves it, but everyone's willing to listen on it, it's still the right thing. It is the right thing, Jesse, because you know eventually those owners will have it. They don't have it now, but they but they will have it. So having deferred money and, and what we're talking about here is yes, you don't have it because you don't have butts and seats because right. the stadiums are closed. But eventually you will have it to be able to say in good faith, here's deferred money with interest because we believe in you as an organization. Now I, I think almost every organization could do that except the Marlins. I get that, but I still right. think that that should be an edict that's put in there because I would think that would bring both sides together closer yeah no i agree with you i agree with you they're just not there yet and that's why yesterday's opening uh, proposal is just that it's just an opening proposal 
Um, but there's no way they're going to come with their, their best offer right away. It's just not going to happen. So let's see how this progresses. Let's see what the owners are willing to give. But here's the thing, and, and the owners are smart negotiators. Mm-hmm. They've already come off a of revenue sharing. Maybe they come off of this. But the players aren't going to come off of much, and that's why the owners are going to make it look like they're doing a lot to come off of their, their, their demands. The players think they already agreed to a full prorated per-game salary, and yet – um, they aren't necessarily going to, to, to come off of that because they think that's it. You know? And the, the owners are saying, no, that's not it. So there's a, there's a cat and mouse game going on about, with the optics of this thing. Will the players look greedy um, not moving off of their prorated salary? Well, they don't think so because they think they agreed to this in March. Jesse, lastly, and I appreciate your time, um, how did your meet go uh, this Memorial Day weekend? Okay, some people have asked me on Twitter, and, and for those that don't know, I, I, I have a problem at the grill. It's, it's, a, it's a very deep psychological issue. I tend to flip my burgers and my steaks a little bit too much, so I have a problem with my meat. And this Memorial Day, after taking advice of you and others, I only flipped twice on my steak. I couldn't get down to one because you're only supposed to do one, mm-hmm. nine minutes on each side. That's what I was told for this piece of meat or i figured out for this piece of meat but i ended up flipping it twice so i'm better with my meat but not completely there and how did it taste still delicious still delicious but but maybe not as good as it could if i only flipped once (laughs) okay well it's still fine well you know what as long as it tastes good and that you only did it twice then you know what you're good now you're working on it that's good right keep keep working with your meat jesse you never know what could happen i just can't go backwards right you know what i'm saying (laughs) i I just can't go no. I, if I go back to flipping three or four times, then I got a bigger problem with my meat. Right, exactly. Just just a couple <laughs> times, just to see what the, what the end result is to your meat. I think that yep. that's that, that's the key. Well, exactly. Jesse, I'm glad you spent some time, man. Uh, this this uh, this story gets more and more interesting by the day. So we'll keep our eyes on it. We'll keep reading. You got it. Take care, Jay Hood. Jesse Rogers covers Major League Baseball for ESPN.com. Joining me, Jonathan Hood, on Under the Hood. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. You're listening to Under the Hood. Get the ESPN Chicago app for podcasts and the live stream from anywhere, anywhere, anywhere. Download in the app store today. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Good to be with you here on this Wednesday night. Full show tomorrow as well. And Friday, starting at 7 o'clock right here on ESPN 1000. we got Tales from the Hood, a very special Tales from the Hood if you're a Cubs fan. Stay by your listening device. we got something special for you uh, with uh, not only the current manager for the Chicago Cubs, but the... Um as the current manager, Karen, and the former manager of the Chicago Cubs, we'll hear from coming up at 8.30 right here on ESPN 1000. Davis, you know, yesterday was supposed to be the day I flew in from New Orleans. Uh, I had a, I had a uh, surprise for, for Peacock uh, last weekend because it was her birthday. Okay. Um, and so... Guess I'm not supposed to give the number. Guess that's, that doesn't uh, work, right? You don't give the number of uh, how old she is, right? No, that wouldn't be a good idea. Why? Why? You are no, you just now? don't do that. You <laughs> don't do it. Are you? Are, are you? Are you a representative? 
I think I have my own representative on my side (laughs) that I wouldn't do the same thing. So just brotherly advice to you, don't do it. All right. So it was her birthday. And we're supposed to be, you know, I was supposed to, the reason why I was uh, off yesterday is because that was supposed to be the day that we're supposed to be flying back. And, of course, you know, just like a lot of people's plans, plans change because of what's been going on with our travel. It's just uh, it's just amazing. You know, I don't know if you ever do this, Davis, but there's always times when you are into sports so much that, yeah, you'll, like, unplug for a while, but you are wondering whether there's a sporting event happening in that city. Have you ever done that before? I have. Okay, so a perfect example is, like, you know, going to uh, to Myrtle Beach because uh, my wife and I and, uh, like, another couple uh, had a timeshare in, in Myrtle Beach. And, you know, I would always look at the, the dates. She always let me handle the dates because she goes, I don't know your schedule. I said, I don't know my schedule, so I'll figure it out, right? And it's like, oh, the Myrtle Beach, you know, minor league team is in town. Maybe I'll slip away. <laughs> Watch that. It's just, you know, it's like, that's not what a vacation's for. She's not what, happy with that. But there's times where you just go to a place, you just check out the uh, the old home road splits, the old home road schedule. Like, eh, I can see myself slipping away for a few hours. Yeah, I remember my first time taking my daughter to uh, Disneyland. And we were staying at this resort in uh, Anaheim. And so we leave the resort and we get back, went early, got there as soon as they opened the gates. We get back at about four because she was really small. No need to be there all day. Mm-hmm. We get back at about four and I'm sitting there with my brother and I'm like, yo, are the angels in town tonight? <laughs> the angels, right. And we both look at each other like, yo, then what ended up happening, the angels were on the road, but the Padres were in town. There you go. So we were like, it's only about a 45 minute trip. Let's do it. And that's how we ended up going to Petco for the first time. Literally. I heard it when I got back, but it was worth it. <laughs> right, exactly. It was well worth it. <laughs> it's so funny you mentioned San Diego. It's kind of the same thing. Like when Petco first opened, I was like, you know, I got us a, a week's vacation to San Diego. She's like, okay, cool. Because she's never been to San Diego before, and I hadn't either. That was my first trip there. It was tremendous. Only thing, The only problem, Davis, is about San Diego was you go to the uh, – you go get your rental car, right? And you think in San Diego, right? You know, it's it's a weatherman's dream, a weather woman's dream. Eighty degrees and sunny every single day, right? There's the weather never changes. Look at the seven day forecast; it's the same, right? Right? right. <laughs> so you know, I've got delusions of grandeur that I'll be able to get some kind of drop top of some kind. You know, you save up enough uh, coins in the Crown Royal bag to make sure that you have enough to get the car that you want. And you're just going from one car rental place to another car rental place, and you're looking for something, and they're like, um, yeah, we just don't have that drop top, or we don't have that smaller car or that medium-sized vehicle for you, but we do have this. <laughs> it was like, I don't know exactly what it was, but it was the equivalent of a Lincoln Town Car. Okay. <laughs> Like, the old Lincoln or the new design Lincoln? It's like, like you know, too long to be in San Diego. <laughs> like your grandfather's Caprice Classic back of the day. Like yeah, that long, right? Yeah, you need a short set and a nice little hat to go with it, huh? And it was white, of <laughs> course. So, was like, <laughs> so I look like the residents that live there, right? Because it's, you know, it's kind of like there's some retirement communities there. They got the old car going, big white wall tires. I'm like, oh, my God. First time in in in, uh, in San Diego, and I'm in this kind of old man's car. Uh, you know, that's not, what I, that's not what I had in mind. And I will tell you that some of those sharp turns into the hotel, 
uh, the Art Deco. I think we stayed there. That was that was not great <laughs> in this, this big car. That you're making sure that you are making sure that you're making those wide turns. Those are the turns where you go the opposite way before the of the turn before you make the turn, That's just to make right. sure you get the right <laughs> the right arc. By the way, San Diego also, Davis was the first time. <laughs> you go, went to the we went to the hotel. She's like, "Oh my god, this is great! You know, great flight. Everything was smooth. Of course, the, the rental car wasn't ideal, but it's fine. That, that was my hangout more so than hers. She was she didn't care about it. She, but I was like, this is not right. So, get the old key card. Get the old key card. Like here we go. Want to surprise her with a nice hotel suite? And there's a guy laying there in his boxers. Oh no! <laughs> Double book. <laughs> So you know what that is, yes. right? You know, I'm Jonathan Hood. That's not going to work, right? It's like, you have ruined my wife's vacation, pal. This will not work. <laughs> did, what did he say when he saw you? Or did he see you? Oh he, oh, he saw me. Oh, my God. Oh, did he see me? Oh, did he see me? When you go back down to the registration, you, oh, did he see me? Oh, he saw me. I was like, sir, this is not going to work. Like, I mean, there's someone in the room that you gave us. And he's like, um, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, uh, the hotel room is free uh, the whole time. Uh, whatever, whatever you need, sir. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be free. Yeah. You're going to give me the best, uh, best room in this hotel, too. Free plus the upgrade. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Yes, sir. And so that was taken care of. But, but again, it's, she still was just like not horrified by it, but she's just like, what in the world? And just like, but the rest of the trip was fine. But the idea that you have someone there laying in his boxers in his black socks. I'm like, am I in St. Louis or San Diego? <laughs> He's in his boxers and his black socks and sandals laying in the bed. I'm just like, this is ridiculous. Not in the silks. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, sir. Uh, but when we came down, I, I just like, I was like, this will not work, sir. There's someone in our room. You just get that voice. You get that voice of authority because you just can't go in and say, sir, mm, sorry, is someone in my room? Can I get another? Nah, nah, you get, you're getting a freebie from there, sir. That's how that works. Ah, water break. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, the brand new ESPN Chicago app. I was reading Kevin O'Connor uh, from The Ringer, theringer.com. Why the NBA could and should look more like the World Cup. I saw several articles about this today, and there's this feeling either among the NBA or the players, uh, Adam Silver, of how to be able to somehow do the playoffs differently than, than we have seen before. Adam Silver admitted in Paris, France, this January, that he's jealous in certain ways of soccer globally. Uh, which is kind of funny because the NBA is doing fine globally, but nonetheless, the plan stalled uh, as far as trying to get a late season play in tournament because the NBA wants to adopt a soccer style mid season tournament and a late season play in tournament. The plan stalled, but a, um, the group stage could be an opportunity for the NBA to try to capture some World Cup soccer magic. I will say this I don't remember a time where I was on the air talking to you and saying, you know what's missing in our our playoff system for baseball, basketball, football? You know, I, I'm, I, why can't we have the World Cup soccer magic in our sports? Why can't we have that? And it's like, you don't have to reinvent the wheel for me. It, are there going to be more? The, the whole thing is, when you do something new and something fresh, from a television standpoint, when you're one of these leagues, are you sure that you'll be able to put more butts in seats 
uh, or in this case, because of the pandemic, are you sure you're going to have more eyeballs on your product by doing something different than the norm? So a World Cup soccer type of, of format. So let me explain what O'Connor has here on the ringer. He says the 16 current playoff teams in the NBA would qualify for the group stage, plus the four teams with the next best records, Pelicans, Blazers, Kings, and Spurs. The remaining 10 teams would be done for the season. The survey sent uh, to each general manager noted that tiers would first be created uh, using the regular season standings to ensure competitive balance between the groups. For example, the 20 teams that could be allocated into five tiers in descending order uh, by record. Tier 1, Bucks, Lakers, Raptors, and Clippers. Tier 2, Celtics, Nuggets, Jazz, Heat. Tier 3, Thunder, Rockets, Pacers, Sixers. Tier 4, Mavericks, Grizzlies, Nets, Magic. Tier 5, the Blazers, the Pelicans, the Kings, and the Spurs. Groups could then be randomly drawn with one team from each tier going into each group. The NBA is working on approaches to fairly balance the groupings, such as limiting each group to only three Western Conference teams, according to multiple front office sources, or drawing for the group stage could be televised. It just seems like a lot. It seems like a lot. What is the point of all of this? Just give me my basketball. And give me, give me what we've seen before in the playoffs. The, the best 16 teams, let's go. That, that's, it's as simple as that. You know, it, like If you want to do it by one loss record, you could do that. I don't have the standings in front of me. I, I can pull those up because uh, there's no need to be looking at the standings as of late because there hasn't been any sports. But I, 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 let me look at the standings real quick. Because the way I look at it is, is that what if it ain't broke, don't fix it. The one thing that I can say for the NBA, people look forward to the playoffs. And they may not be ready for you know looking into going day to day like me watching the um, the NBA regular season. I'm invested. Blex invested in the NBA as far as the regular season is concerned. But but you know for the playoffs, what's the point? If you went one through sixteen, right? Say one against 16 in a tournament way. The Bucks have the best record in the NBA. The worst record amongst teams that are playoff eligible would be the Orlando Magic because uh, they have 30 wins. Uh, the Grizzlies have 32, and they're at the eighth seed. If you want to do one against 16 in like a tournament, style, that's fine. Uh, but ultimately, the way things have gone has have been fine. I don't think there's going to be one more person that's going to come to the TV, come to their device and say, boy, uh, this whole playoff format's pretty cool now, man. Now we get a chance to see the best against the worst in 116. Can a 16 knock off a one? Find out next. Like, that's not, that, I mean, I don't need that for me as an NBA fan. And if you're going soccer style, like, are, are you, uh, does that mean people that watch soccer will see how this works in the NBA? And so that's going to bring more people to the, under the tent. You know what brings more people under the tent? Good basketball. And, and the chance that there's going to be a, a different champion. Now, here's the thing. I understand from the NBA standpoint that the league has been based on um, dynasties for a long time. It's been based on dynasties for a long time. That's what the sport's been. It's the, the Bulls run the 90s. It's the Lakers. It's the Celtics. It's the uh, Pistons. It's the Rockets. Uh, the San Antonio Spurs. Everyone gets a run. It's because it's dynasty latent. So I, I don't have a problem with this. But it, I just find it interesting that 
the NBA has always been trying to tinker. Like, what if we had like a play-in thing to try to get more people? Like, people are going to watch. They're going to watch. But I don't think that a new wrinkle is going to bring a whole new uh, fan base to a sport that's already striving and still doing well. Um, but but Silver is a soccer guy, so you know what if we were able to tinker? Well, don't mess with something that's not broken. You still have star power. You still have a, a lot of fans in some of the major markets here that are still watching. As bad as the Knicks are, they're still number one in attendance. Bulls in top five, and they've been trash. The Lakers and Clippers are doing well out on the West Coast. The Dallas Mavericks are emerging as a top a team now in the Western Conference. Uh, in, so you got the Dallas covered. You have Golden State in the Bay Area covered. So all your major markets, they are covered. Houston's a good team. They're a, a major market team. You're doing well. So you don't have to keep tinkering with things just because. You don't want to lose a fan base that's been loyal just because, ah, I'm bored. <laughs> Either people are going to watch or not. It's going to be predicated on good basketball more so than trying to figure out how we can kind of move this around and make this more like soccer, make this more like the NCAA tournament, make it more like the NBA that's watchable. Tales from the Hood is next. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Follow on Twitter at TweetJHood. What do you got here? This is your car. My car? I said a 10-second car, not a 10-minute car. Pop the hood. Pop the hood? Pop the hood. Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Here we go. Tales from the Hood, stories of sports, entertainment, everything else in between. You never know what you're going to get from Tales from the Hood. Uh, we'll hear from Sekou Smith, friend of the program from um, NBA TV and also NBA.com. We'll get his thoughts on how soon the NBA could return. We'll get his insight coming up at 9 o'clock. Well, in this special Tales from the Hood, let us hear from... Another friend of the program from ESPN, Clinton Yates. Clinton Yates, one of the hosts for Baseball Tonight. He got a chance to sit down with David Ross, current Cubs manager, and Joe Madden, former Cubs manager, current manager for the Los Angeles Angels. And so they went back in time and they talked about uh, the World Series for the Chicago Cubs. How special was that for Cub fans to finally see something that maybe their parents, grandparents, family members didn't get a chance to see from the past, but they got it done, the Cubs, in 2016. Uh, some thoughts now from Yates, as well as Ross and Madden, reminiscing about the Chicago Cubs and that great year in 2016. Before we even get to this Game 7, obviously that season was a big one. Ton of wins, more successful Cubs team we'd seen, and there was a comeback within the series. Tell me about the regular season, David, you first, leading up to this playoff run. Well, I mean, the, just the uniqueness of the 2016 group for me was uh, 2015, a lot of success with a lot of young guys and the spring training, all the expectations, and, um, you know, starting starting with the, the opening speech of, of embracing uh, the target. It was the thing that Joe created and, and the mantra of just, you know, it's, it's a privilege to have those expectations and putting that target on your back. And uh, me personally coming into a, a final season of my career, knowing that uh, it was going to be my last one and uh, making a lot of fun. My teammates, um, you know, created the whole grandpa Rossi thing with KB and Riz and, and spring training and 
um, really just took me on a phenomenal journey throughout that season. We had such a good team. Uh, getting Dex back at the end of spring training was a, a huge boost from our front office, uh, him coming back on a one-year deal. So uh, a lot of excitement uh, leading up to that season, and then the season in general was just amazing for me. Now, I call you both Skip because of your new gig, but I'm going to refer to Madness Skip for the purposes of this show. Skip, what you have on your plate in terms of what the expectations were in that city, what you've been building, and what that franchise was going to do for you heading into spring training? Well, David, David recapped it pretty well. Um, the thing I talked about a lot, um, always, but at that camp in particular, is that you should run towards expectations and the word pressure. Why would you run away from those words? Um, if those words are being attached to what you're doing, it's probably something pretty substantial and good at the end of all that. So the big, the big sell for me, like David said, was to embrace the target. That happened the previous um, uh, winter meetings. I did that little scrum, uh, wherever the winter meetings were at. And boom, it just, it just jumped out. And they all, they all, uh, the writers jumped on it, which was good because sometimes, for me, I don't even know what I'm saying, but I, it was perfect. So that as you promote that concept, that thought, it's exactly what I want. I want expectations. I want pressure. I want a target on our back. That means you're good. And that should elicit your best um, mental and physical effort on a daily basis. It all comes down to that. Um, so that's it. I mean, otherwise, David, like I said, it said it really well. We had a great group. Uh, we were really uh, tightly knit. Um, uh, the clubhouse itself was funny, fun. I mean, he and I, David, would not be playing. We'd be on the other end of the dugout, and we'd be laughing from a distance uh, just about something. And, and David's the one that helped me come up with uh, Try Not to Suck. We were, we were just trying to talk about how do you not embarrass. Um, usually a player is always concerned about not embarrassing himself, so we morphed it into right. – trying not to suck. So it was, it was a, a, the perfect storm in a positive way. And we had, and we had create, Joe does such a good job. We had our own little bubble. I know from the outside that there were all these expectations and um, a lot of like, can the Cubs really do, you know, the doubters and the curse and all that stuff. It really, none of that stuff creeped into our locker room that the, the atmosphere that Joe created, let us uh, be our own ourselves and whether it was dress up or, um, kind of BP, and we, we found our own routine uh, kind of in the clubhouse that we we kind of beat to our own drummer, and Joe creates that, and we had such a, like you said, such a tight-knit group that uh, we didn't hear a lot of that outside noise that uh, everybody else heard. Once the playoffs start, though, give me a little bit about the lead-up to this World Series. You got through the Giants, you got through the Dodgers. What are you thinking in terms of those two series leading you all the way to Cleveland? Go ahead, Joe. Um well, I mean, it's, it's not easy. I mean, having to go through the Giants really battle-tested. And that, to me, that's the series that set the whole thing up. When we beat the Giants in that game four in San Francisco, to me, that was the whole thing because I did not want us to have to see Cueto in game five back home. I did not want to see that. So I think by winning the, that series in four, by the time we got back and played the Dodgers, that last clinching game against the Dodgers at home, to me, might have been – one of the most perfect games I've ever uh, participated in as a player or as a manager, uh, how well we played. So now you go into the World Series with a ton of momentum. But to digress, we had a couple weeks to get ready, too. Uh, we, we clinched it relatively soon, um, which permitted us to take care of our, particularly our bullpen and rest guys. So it would, could have been a more perfect way to do it. And then, but it was imperfect in, in the actual series being down three to one. But again, um, I promise you, if you're in that plane and in that clubhouse going into that game six uh, with this group, 
Um, I, I, I felt good about it. I felt good when we left because of the pitching that we had left. It was a, a group that elicited confidence. Dave, you on on what happened in that playoff in that playoff run leading up to getting to Cleveland? Well, I think just being a part of some playoff atmospheres in the past, uh, you understand there's going to be some adversity that's going to come along the way, and um, that that Giants team knew how to win. Uh, you know, they 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 brought their A game, um, and we came back. You guys were down three one. You had two elimination games before even getting to game seven. David, start with me. Give me that. Give me that mindset because it, you know there's so much pressure there. You've got to get it done, but you're really up against it. The tribe really had this in their hands and couldn't get it done. What were you all thinking down three one to make sure this didn't happen the wrong way? Well, I was excited about playing game five at Wrigley Field. That's that's was my focus. I was super excited about that. Being home. I mean. It, talking about a, a dream, you get to end your career at playing uh, a World Series game at Wrigley Field. So that was my focus. I hadn't played the first two games or hadn't started. I was John's personal catcher, and I, I hadn't started any games at home, and I just was chomping at the bit to to get into that atmosphere. And so even down 3-1, you know, coming into locker room after the loss in game four, um, you know, there was a sense of, hey, boys, like, you know, there's a lot of guys out there that, you know, would kill to be in our spot playing in a World Series game uh, in Wrigley Field and and possibly my last game of my career. So uh, I was um, I was pumped up to go play. I couldn't wait to maybe the last time I suit up and get to catch my good friend John Lester in that atmosphere. I couldn't wait. Skip, we saw the, the graphic there. You guys are having trouble putting runs on the board in that series. Is there anything else that might have actually worried you in terms of going into Game 7 in terms of what you could execute and communicate into game seven no i mean i felt really good about game seven um game five we had to turn it around kb's homer to left central that that turned that whole thing around i mean up to that point i mean uh, bar was having his way with us again uh they had good pitching man it's not that's not an anomaly man look at their pitching staff starters and bullpen they were tough they were very tough so were we but so were they they had the leg up soon as kb hit that home run uh, the whole world changed at that particular moment. That gave us hope. Uh, our boys rallied. We held on to that game. Uh, Chappie, Araldis, tremendous, uh, again, relief appearance that permitted that to happen. And that got us back over there. Then then you got Jake and, and Kyle to start the next two games. We've seen those guys go back-to-back and good things happen. And also uh, getting, you know, sometimes really can be a tough place to hit. Wind blowing in a lot of time, very cold. Went over to Cleveland. It was one tough night, but then the other night was relatively nice. Uh, we started putting uh, better wood on the ball, and all of a sudden it started to go far, and, and it, everything changed. Baseball Tonight Live, Clinton Yates, Joe Madden, David Ross, leading you up to the top of the hour, MLB Encore Tuesdays, Game 7, 2016, World Series, Cubs obviously playing against the Tribe. Now, let's get to Game 7. This game starts, Dexter Fowler is in the box, Three pitches, four pitches, he goes out. Joe, tell me a little bit about what you guys' strategy was from a plate approach standpoint going into this game in terms of jumping on top of the top and making sure you took advantage of what you had AB wise. Well, again, if you had been with us all year, my philosophy is always to be or to to play the same game regardless of the date. So all year long, our uh, our goal is to score first. And with Dexter, you go, we go. Boom. Both both items are checked right there. 
Um, Dex, you know, Dex has got that effervescent personality. Um, that smile can light up any room. Uh, he was at the top of his game. Um, strong man. I mean, strong man. And, and again, he, he provided that thing that you need. Uh, when you get the real leadoff hitter like him that can pop the ball out, get on base, create havoc. But, but again, it's just his, it's who he is. Extremely uh, contagious personality. So what he did in that first at-bat set the tone for the whole game. David, you guys got your little handshake on, I'll call it, at that point. What were you thinking when you saw him take him out to center there and really get things started? Well, I think, you know, just a settle of the nerves when you see Dex go uh, go deep to start off. Kluber had been untouchable for us, and and, and really, especially uh, versus our, those left-handed hitters, throwing that front hip two-seamer as you see Dex take it deep. I mean, he... He absolutely had been painting that. That one leaks out middle. Dex takes advantage of it, jumps it, and we go crazy, get the lead. We were a really good team when we got off, either got the leadoff guy on or got a lead all year. We just uh, we had a we had a knack of, of stepping on people's necks, and um, Dex set the tone, as Joe said. We really he, – he brings – I mean, look at the energy of the dugout, the way he reacts. You know a, a good teammate, when, when they have success, they look back in the dugout – and want to celebrate and cheer with, with their teammates. Um, that's the kind of group we had. And uh, Dex, is, De- like Joe said, Dex lights up a room, the locker room when he comes in. Uh, he, he was he was a guy that, he was our catalyst, and, and we've missed him since. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. This is Chicago's home for sports. Stream ESPN 1000 easily on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. You're listening to Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. We'll hear from Sekou Smith. We'll get his thoughts about the NBA coming up uh, at 9 o'clock right here on UTH. I... Can't breathe. I can't breathe. Do you know who George Floyd is? Do you know who George Floyd is? George Floyd, and his name is synonymous with many that have been killed by overzealous police officers, by overzealous criminal police officers. Have you seen the story? Over the last 48-plus hours in Minneapolis, Minnesota, a beautiful city. was just there two summers ago having a vacation in Minneapolis. Beautiful city, great people, yet there is a cloud that hovers over that city in many cities across the country because of racial injustice, because of police brutality. I see on my social media, like you probably see on your social media, this side-by-side picture of George Floyd who is arrested, who has handcuffs on him, lying down on his stomach, and there's a police officer with his knee right on the back of the neck of George Floyd. As he says, I can't breathe, and he says that uh, he's calling out his mother, and he's saying, I can't breathe. And that's reminiscent of other videos that we have seen, whether it is police officers that are shooting unarmed black people, whether it's a situation where a black person is unarmed and trying to go for his cell phone or going for his, um, something in his wallet, his ID, 
And just because it's not happening in your backyard, not happening on your block, doesn't mean it's not happening. You know, being black in America is a death sentence. It is, and it's really unfortunate. See, the difference between me and someone who's white is when police stop you, you fear that you may get a ticket. When I get stopped, it might be the end where I might die. That's really the risk that is going on. And not just now, it's been going on for a long time, but the advent of the video tells you the story. And for many of us that watch videos like George Floyd, many of us look at it and say, well, what if, what happened beforehand? What, what led to George Floyd's death? It's something that George Floyd did, right? Something in his background, something that's down the video that we have to be able to explore. Everybody looks for things that are not real. What if, why did that happen? When you see that video and you see the video evidence of what happens, it is uh, devastating to watch. And I've seen enough of it. I'm tired of watching it. The side by side that you see on social media is George Floyd and Colin Kaepernick. That's what you've seen. And Colin Kaepernick has always been a great conversation for me. Because I know what Colin Kaepernick stood for. Because if someone tells you this is what I'm standing for, and he's showing you uh, that I'm standing for this particular cause, that should be the end of it. But you see, when you have people that will tell you that Colin Kaepernick, he stood for disrespecting the flag, the same flag that people disrespect on a daily basis, by the way, that, but again, it, they are not black or they're, they feel like it, it's okay for them to do it. But when Colin Kaepernick is kneeling saying that I'm tired of police brutality, that can't be the case. It's got to be something else because, my God, why would you actually look at what's happening on your screen and say that's wrong? You would rather look at someone like Kaepernick or those that denounce police brutality and say that they're wrong. That's the world that we live in on a daily basis where you are seeing something right there on your television, but yet you're saying that's, that's not real. That didn't happen. It had to be George Floyd's fault, right? The amount of video evidence is overwhelming. Like all the videos that we have seen. When you see an officer put a knee to the back of Floyd's neck, while three other officers stood and watched Floyd just writhe in pain and saying, I can't breathe. The officer that killed George Floyd handcuffed and he had, was arrested. And that's just one example of many that we have seen in which we have no value for one another. No value for human life because, well, you're the person that I'm arresting. So uh, I will do whatever I want to because there's no value for human life. There's no human. There's no value for human life in our streets during Memorial Day weekend when we see a number of people once again killed just because. I've got a gun, so I'm going to shoot you just because. I will end your life just because. I have no value of your human life. 
The senseless killings by citizens of this city and citizens across this country just because I can is the height of not just arrogance, not just bewilderment, but just knowing that every time you step outside, you don't know if you're going to be able to come back or not, especially if you're black, especially if you're black. I saw a story before we came on also in the twin cities where there was this guy that just saw African Americans in a, in a gym and the guy was asking, well, what, wait, what, what are you, why are you guys in this gym? Where, where do you, where do you belong? Everybody wants to be a police officer, even if they don't have the uniform on. Everyone wants to make a citizen's arrest. No one wants to pay attention to themselves or help somebody. You would rather try to get that person in trouble. We saw the same story of a woman almost choking a dog. For those of you that have more value in animals than people, then maybe this will hit your... If people don't help you out and really touch your heart, maybe animals will. As a dog that almost got choked out because a woman was making up a story right there on video saying that a man was attacking a white woman. That was over the weekend. Almost choking out a dog just to be able to call the police to say that I'm being tortured or being attacked by a black man. Why? Why? Because there's no value for human life. That's why it's great that when you and I are able to have a conversation about sports... Because we have that in common. We are all sports fans. But you cannot turn a blind eye to what's really going on in our society, in our world. Again, it may not be happening in your block, in your circle of friends, in your neighborhood. But it doesn't mean it's not happening. The lack of value of black people in this city and in this country continues to be shown on video time and time again. Is it a broad statement against what we're seeing? Well, you know what? I, I, all I have is video evidence. All I have is what we're seeing on a daily basis, and I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. It's weighed heavily on me to watch in, uh, in real time when the video came out, uh, based on what we saw over the last couple of days, a guy just dying just because the police officer has the uh, the authority to put his knee on the back of a guy's uh, neck after he's been arrested. And he's like, well, something else had to happen. Then we see other video evidence, and it's just the guy wasn't re uh, resist resisting arrest. George Floyd wasn't doing that. He was arrested, and what else can he do when he's handcuffed? You see, I have police in my family, and, and high-level police in my family. And even they can't turn a blind eye to what has been going on here until the boys in blue actually denounce these four, the three that stood by and the one that applied the pressure until the boys in blue are able to say something, then it's just going to continue. It's not embarrassing. It's just sad. It's sad. George Floyd is dead because a person had no value of someone else's life. Every day we're seeing this. Every day there's some video that's popping up. You would think at some point the police or just regular citizens for one another would be able to get it. And they just, they just don't get it. I have to kill you.
or I've got to be able to show my dominance just because I got a uniform on and you don't because you're black and I'm not. So I don't have any value of your life. Seku Smith is next. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Hi, everybody. On ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.